Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD. And today we're going to talk about hospitality. Because if you think about it, you have probably gotten an amazing meal at one restaurant and an amazing meal at another restaurant. But what will really stick with you is not so much the food, but the experience, the service, the ambiance, how you were greeted, how you were spoken to, and all of those things. And there's an entire industry around how to craft an amazing experience for people in hospitality. Yet you get into sales. There's no hospitality manager. There's no one that's really thinking about the experience of going through the sales process, going through the business process. And I think that is a mistake. That is why I'm so excited to have Sam Shout with me on the show today. He's the corporate sales manager over at ShareBite. But what we're going to be diving into is like, what can sales, what can business learn from the hospitality industry that not only makes it a better experience for our prospects and customers, but also leads to more revenue? Sam, my man, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Katie. Happy to be here. So let's dive into this as a topic, right? I'm trying to remember like what triggered this conversation. I think there was there was a post or like a YouTube video or something. And then you jumped in recommending a book called Setting the Table. So like just set the scene here a little bit around like this idea of hospitality in sales and business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've spent the better part of the last five years at the top of the funnel um, in B2B SaaS, whether that be as an SDR, full cycle AE, uh, you know, managing SDRs more recently, um, and now starting to move into some of the AE management side. But I think, you know, I know you've been an SDR leader before. I know you've done a lot of, you know, similar work, obviously, at the VP level. But um, I think that as a SDR work, as the first touch in the sales process, you are kind of setting the table, so to speak, um, no, no matter 
how you're doing it, whether you're doing a good job or a bad job, you're the first touch point. You set the tone for what the relationship is going to be like from there on out. Um, so I, I know I heard you say in that intro, you know, there there is no hospitality manager, which I, of course, agree with. But I would argue that the person that's leading, whoever's making initial contact with your prospective clients um, is the one that's responsible for setting that tone. And if they're not thinking about it in that way, I think that's a missed opportunity. Interesting. Let's unpack that. Is it that individual's job to set the tone or is it that individual's job to execute on the experience that the company expects? Right. So here, here, like, go ahead and answer. I think we're aligned on this one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, ultimately, that's that's something that should be aligned with the values and the mission of the business. And it should be, you know, echoed through every client facing interaction that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a place where I do think some, not even sometimes, a lot of times we put way too much on the individual rep to think of the experience, design the experience, document the experience, craft the experience, write the experience. Sound, and it's like, whoa, that's something that we as leaders, I believe, should be establishing for our teams and then teaching them how to do it. So it's actually start there, right? As a sales leader, how do you kind of craft or map this experience that you expect your people to deliver? Let's start with that. How do you craft it? What are the things that you think about in terms of like, call it like hospitality, but in sales? Yeah, I think that um, it starts with tone. You know, tone is something that I, I chat about with new SDRs all the time, whether that be uh, via written communication, live on a call, cold calls, you know, even a little bit different in terms of the tone you want to strike. Um, and I think it's not that every single individual on your team needs to have the same tone, um, but they need to come off as authentic. Um, they need to come off as as largely positive. It doesn't mean you can't challenge your prospects a little bit. Um, but I still think having a, you know, erring on the positive side is much better than the negative. Um, and then I think in terms of the hospitality side, you want to feel like you're chatting with a friend, right? It's important mm-hmm. that people speak like they talk, that they sound like a human being. You know, you hear lots of stuff on LinkedIn about being human in sales, but it's definitely true. Um, and I think that, uh, one thing that we work on a lot, uh, at ShareBite when new reps come in is particularly with SDRs on like cold calls and, and the way that they write their emails, making sure that what they're saying feels authentic to like their own voice. That's a big part of like initial share by onboarding. If you're an SDR is kind of finding your voice as a seller. Um, and, and that's something for me that I think is important. I, I'm definitely a believer in scripts. I do think that scripts can work. I'm not sort of anti-script, but I think that a script that is sort of tweaked from some frameworks with an individual rep that's in their voice that their manager works on with them is going to be a lot stronger than a new rep that comes in and is just reading down a list that was handed to them by their VP. Yeah, no, I love that. And we are aligned there on scripts as well. Like scripts are just best practices. It is on the rep to make it come alive. And truthfully, when we're practicing, the thing that we're practicing is the tone. Because to your point, anybody can read. So like, I believe you can read. I'm going to teach you how to read. I need to teach you how to say it the right way. And we can, it's so actually simple when you work with people on this is tell them how to read the script. Like what tone should you be delivering it with? And you can do it. Read this sad, read this mad, read this nervous. Once there's intention, the tone is there. So I love that in terms of like finding your your voice because tone is definitely number one. And if y'all think about going to a restaurant, if you walked in and the host or hostess was like, thank you for coming. 
that that can set the whole mood for the rest of the, the meal just because of that tone. So let's keep going down. So think about, again, this experience. So one, there's the tone, right? How we are conversing. Then what? When you think about crafting a good experience for the prospect or the buyer, what comes after tone? So in terms of a, like qualities that I think are important as a seller from a buyer experience standpoint, I think that you could use a, throw a different, couple different words at it. Maybe mm-hmm. consistency, maybe it's work ethic. Um, but honestly, in sales, most often, it's like how diligent and organized are you with your follow-up? Mm-hmm. So in terms of my reps, I would, I would call it kind of like discipline, right? Um, you put in all of this work, whether it's an outbound sequence, whether you got a referral to, to get initial contact. Um, and if you kind of fumble the bag between initial contact and meeting, it's not always on the rep. Um, but a lot of times there is something that could be done better there. And I think like providing a super, super consistent framework and process as a manager to a rep allows them to be successful there and allows the prospective client to feel like they're in good hands and they're being taken care of. I think one of the biggest missed opportunities is any SaaS org that has SDRs and AEs. I think that handoff has to be seamless. If you're the, the buyer, if I'm a buyer and someone's pitching me and I, I talk to an inbound SDR and then I go to an AE, if that AE is asking me three or four of the same questions that that SDR asked me, it's not like I'm not going to buy the product, but it definitely takes me down a little bit in terms of feeling like I'm in good hands and I'm talking to kind of one unified voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've used the word a few times here that I actually want to go into, right? It's like frameworks and process. Yep. Because y'all think about this. When you go to, I'm trying to think like, like a nice restaurant that has low locations, right? Like let's say you go to like a Perry's or you go to, um, what would be another one? Like, like where you get like a good steak or something, right? You like go to a Perry's or whatever. Or you go to a Ruth Chris, you know, across the country. The experience is pretty similar, right? And they are doing it. There's no daily huddles with all those restaurants jumping in to talk about what the experience is going to be. Like it's uniform across multiple locations. And I believe that only comes from frameworks and process. So like, how do you kind of document this or how do you make this experience repeatable as opposed to like, well, each rep is delivering a slightly different experience, right? Or each handoff is different. So touch on like frameworks and process. I think that'd be important to to dive into here. So I think a good example is like cold calls, right? We have a Mm -hmm. bunch of people who make cold calls at ShareBite. Um, They're not all reading off the same script, um, but there are a lot of commonalities if you were to listen to different people cold calls. So from a framework standpoint, right? Um, they all use an opener, uh, generally like a permission-based opener, but there are a couple of reps who have been successful with a different version and we let them run with it. Uh, there's a specific tone that they're going for in the opener, which is unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, they're then shifting to asking a really targeted pointed question based on research. It's usually something very similar to what goes in their first email. So they don't have to sort of duplicate the work. Um, that's meant to unearth, uh, some more information about the food program of a prospective client. Uh, there's a couple different angles they can go with that. And they have sort of a bag of tricks to work with, depending on what they find in their research. Um, and then from there on out, the call kind of transitions into a miniature discovery call. They're asking mm-hmm. questions, they're digging. And then when they decide that they've had enough, uh, when that they've got enough, they can go for the meeting. It pivots one more time. And that's the only time as an SDR that they're sort of instructed to kind of get in the driver's seat with a prospect and really be like, here's what's going to happen. Here's the next call. Here's a preview of the sales process. And so despite the fact that we have, we've had, you know, 25, 30 SDRs in the past 
12 months that have made cold calls plus AE's cold call as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of experience, if you're a buyer receiving a successful cold call from ShareBite is largely the same. Um, and I think that's the way that I think about it as a manager is like your sales process in some sense is just kind of the steps in the process in Salesforce. Um, I think frameworks is how I think about exactly what you're talking about, which is providing like a consistent experience for buyers, giving reps a roadmap to success, but allowing them to take part in that and kind of deviate from the mean in ways that are going to make them feel more comfortable, more authentic and be better at their jobs. And so then how do you roll this framework out? I'm sure there's people listening right now going like, yeah, like I guess we've never really mapped out like this process or like what we want that experience to be. How do you go about like rolling that out to the team, right? It sounds like, okay, like there's the frameworks, there's the structure, right? And you're given enough space for people to, you know, navigate within it to make it their own. But like, what are those steps to actually roll that out to a team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've only been a manager for a year. I was able to do a lot of this in onboarding and training because I hired basically my whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I was, let's say, coming in or, or, or helping someone sort of consulting through trying to do something similar with their calls, um, I think it starts with input from your team, like doing like workshops with existing calls to get buy-in. And then I think as a manager, like you've got to master this first. So I don't think you can build credibility with SDRs unless you can either cold call live or do really effective cold call role play in front of the team. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's a big thing, right? Like I would have reps that would come in and they're used to kind of asking for the meeting like seven times in the first two minutes, which is not the way that I, I would cold call. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we role play live and they can kind of feel what that's like as the buyer and be sort of walked through a process like that very quickly, usually they're, they're on board, they're on the same page. So I think that's a big thing is kind of building credibility by getting in the trenches to model the behavior you're looking for your team to, to emulate. Um, and then I think the other piece uh, is just like continued role play and practice um, yeah. so that it isn't like, hey, we've been cold calling one way for eight months. Now we're going to cold call a new way. It's like the cold calling frameworks and process are this thing that's always being refined and iterated on. And that's something that the manager ultimately owns, but that the reps also take ownership in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so key is that practice side, right? Like that's where I think most companies miss is they'll roll out a framework and say, okay, go do it. Like no one's done it before. So then they're practicing on the prospect. So that doesn't go well. So they don't think it works. Whereas that practice is so key. One of the things I talk about with my managers all the time, if they can't do it with you in practice, I know they can't do it in the game. Like, I don't even, I don't even need to go listen to a call because if they're not able to do it with you in practice, in a safe space, I know for a fact when the pressure is on and when they actually have a prospect on, they're not going to execute on it. Like it's that practice and repetition that is so key there. And so let's keep going down this, right? Because, you know, you had mentioned the book, you know, setting the table and going through this. And so it's like, what were some of the takeaways from that book, right? Like I have it pulled up right now, right? The 51% solution, like constant gentle pressure, like road to success. Like what are some of the things that stood out to you from that book around hospitality and then into business? What were some of those other key takeaways? Yeah. All right. So I got three points that I wrote down ahead of time. So I'll make sure sure I go through them. Um, So the first is around uh, what Danny Meyer, who's the the guy who wrote the book, founded Shake Shack, Union Square Hospitality Group, um, sort of what he looks for in anyone that he hires. Uh, So he calls this the the excellence reflex. um, And it's sort of five like emotional skills. 
um, five core emotional skills. In, in his opinion, these are things that can't really be taught. And I would largely agree with that. Uh, so the first is optimistic warmth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second is intelligence, but the way that he defines intelligence, I would more closely relate to like natural curiosity. Okay. The third one is empathy. Um, the fourth one is self-awareness and integrity. And then the fifth one, which is sort of the title of the book is the way that he defines work ethic, which is people who care enough to take great care and pride in setting the table beautifully each time. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a pretty good place to start if you're going to hire some sales reps, uh, in terms of like the, the things that you're not going to be teaching them, the things that you want them to have when they, when they get in seat. Um, I really love that definition of work ethic in particular. I think that like, it's less about how much do you want to sweat and like, mm-hmm. you know, how much do you want the dollar? And it's more just like, do you take pride in your work? Do you take great care in your work? I think the original post that I had commented on for you was about like a whiskey or bourbon situation where someone recommended yes. something, right? Yep. Yep. And that's a perfect example of like that guy just like, he, he gives a shit when he goes to work, right? He cares. He's trying. He's like really like leaning in and trying to make the experience better for everybody around him. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I was like, I was trying to remember like what triggered this because right around that same time, there was a TED talk that was going around too. That was very specific around this idea of like the experience of the, the buyer or the experience of the, um, the guest there. And so, okay. Yes. And it's funny, like going through those terms, like those characteristics sounds a lot like my hiring scorecard, <laughs> like almost to the letter, right? Around optimism, around curiosity, around self-awareness. And again, like similarly, like pride. Right. Do they take pride in what they do? Because the pride is something that's internal. Work ethic, a lot of people will only work hard if it's something that they like. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you take pride in it, like as a hard worker, that's just what you do. And it doesn't matter whether you're setting a table or not. So I really, really like that because it is, it's setting the foundation of the people on your team, right? And y'all and y'all know this, there's restaurants out there where there's different types of people that fit within that restaurant and that experience that they're trying to create. So, okay. So I love that one in terms of really kind of setting the stage with your people. Then where does it go? All right. So this is where it gets a, a little more interesting. This is what he looks for in hiring managers. And as like a frontline manager, I think it's, there's some qualities that I try to emulate in, in the way that I lead my team. So the first is infectious attitude. Um, and I was chatting about this, this whole thing with one of my reps last week. And his point, which I think is, is really well put, is managers, a manager's attitude is infectious, whether it's positive or not, right? Whether it's bringing the team up or whether it's that like misery loves company, everyone's kind of down, no one's hitting their number kind of thing. So I think recognizing as a leader that like, no matter how I act, it's going to impact the energy of the team. So I need to be intentional about the way that I approach all the interactions that I have with the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is, is managers should have a charitable assumption, right? Uh, they should assume good intent when they have interactions with people. I think that goes a long way. And again, also kind of models for the team, how to interact with other departments or sort of internal stakeholders and also obviously clients. Um, the third one is the one that I, I would maybe expect you to disagree with me on a little bit, or I think is like a little bit of a hot take, but it's, the way that he defines a long-term view of success. So remember, again, this is in restaurant terms, but you can put it in business terms Mm -hmm. easily. Um, A manager should have the following priorities. Employees first, guests second, community third, 
suppliers fourth, investors fifth. Um, and Danny Meyer's view is that even though typically a SaaS business, you might want like not say out loud that the investors are last on your list of priorities, that if you order your priorities in that way, that the investors will make money and that mm-hmm. that's the way to sort of set your business up in terms of goodwill, in terms of uh, network effect for long term success. I mean, I heard no hot take there. That's the only right, way to actually do it. Yeah, like, because, like, and, and you nailed it at the end because if you put the investors first, funny enough, they'll get what they want short term. They won't get what they want long term. Whereas you put your people and customers first, and that's where it's an interesting flop. It can go either way, right? Is like employee first or customer first. If the customer mm-hmm. is first. That'll attract a certain type of employee. You put your employees first. Well, they better serve the customer. So that's the only place I could see it flip flop. But no, that's that's the key to it. Right? People seem to forget that a company is made out of people. Mm-hmm. And you take better care of your people. The company does better, similar to the prospects. So no, no hot take for me, man. I'm 100% aligned with that. Fair enough. Um, and I think the example at a restaurant of employees over customers is like drunk guy at the bar, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes a point in time when for the other customers and for your team, you have to put their needs above this one customer who might be giving you a lot of money in one occasion. Yes. Uh, we just did. So I was just on site um, at, at my new company. We did a whole ton of work around like culture and values. And one of the things that I brought up to them there is like, you know, any... Any phrase can get called weaponized. So mm-hmm. if like one of your values is, you know, customers first, well, that could be weaponized where a customer like wants a discount and it's like, well, no, it's like, well, that's not putting the customer first or a customer is they're being degrading. They're being disrespectful. They're being whatever they're being harassing customers first. And so one of the things I walked all the execs through is like when you're defining your values and your virtues, you also have to define what it is not. Mm-hmm. But here's what it is. We say, you know, obsess over the customer. Great. Here's what that means. But this is also what it is not, right? To avoid the weaponization, if that's a word of it, where it's like, okay, yeah, we say customers first, but that does not mean someone can disrespect you. That does not mean someone can harass you. That does not mean someone can use degrading language to you. That does not mean that we sacrifice our margins that hurt the business. And so I think it's always important. Right, there's that old cliche, the customer's always right. And it's like, mm, no, we have to do what is best for, and this is the key, the best customers. Right, right. That's the key to it. So no, I really, really like that. And if people remember that, because also too, remembering that the prospect is a person, is where I always have fun with this, right? You get into it. It's like everyone talks about personas. Yeah, that's great. KD is a person. Sam is a person. Yes, we might be sales leaders as a persona, but we are people and we want to experience something. So I really like that that order there. So let's keep going. Now you said you had three key points from the books. We have who yeah. we're kind of hiring. Then we get to the managers. And I agree on that too, that energy, right? Mm-hmm. And it does not have to be the fake rah-rah. I'm not the rah-rah guy at all. But anyone that has worked with me would tell you I'm very positive, even if things are bad. It's like, hey, shit sucks. We're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, right? It's not tiptoeing around it. So I really like that attitude point from leadership. And then bring us home here. What's kind of what wraps this this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the third point that I had that I think is 
really when you're talking about hospitality and business, the the best lesson from the book that like I would repeat to a rep or that I want them to take out of it when I have my team read this book. I think that's also what started this. As I mentioned, that this is like required reading mm-hmm. in SDR chair bite. Um, is this story that he tells in the book about the salt shaker? Um, so basically, what was happening is Danny Myers, a, a young restaurant leader, is having a ton of success at his restaurant Union Square Cafe in New York. Um, but he's frustrated and he's like, he's, he's not really enjoying it. Uh, and he feels like he always has to kind of like one up his people because he's like a young leader, uh, which is definitely a tough place to be. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have, you want to get respect, but you don't want to force it because you know, no one, it won't be genuine then. Um, and so he was trying to find ways to kind of like get his people to do the right thing by the customers to, to give off this vibe that he's looking to have across the entire business. And he had a, a buddy of his who's an older restaurateur in New York come in and sort of teach him this lesson. So he had him take one of the tables next to them, take everything off the table except for the salt shaker, take all the plates off, take the pepper mill, everything, salt shaker, generally in the middle of the table. And then he goes, all right, Danny, like, where do you want the salt shaker? And he puts it right in the middle. This other guy takes the salt shaker, moves it like four inches off. And then he goes, where do you want the salt shaker? He puts it back in the middle, but maybe it's like a centimeter different this time. Then he takes it again. He puts it like on the chair. He asks him to put it back. So the lesson, right, is that, uh, you know, law of entropy, every customer, like it's their job to screw you up, to throw you off your game, right? That's what they're going to do. They're going to move the plate. They're going to spill a glass of wine. They're going to get upset about something that tastes totally okay. Um, And it's your job as the leader and as the person providing the hospitality to continue to move that salt shaker back to the middle of the table to uphold your standard of excellence and to do it, you know, with persistence, but also with respect and not one-upping your customer. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. I was wondering where that was going to go because my head yeah. went a different place with it too, that I think applies to, to leaders all the time, right? Which is where the salt shaker doesn't matter if there's no plates, <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. It's also we will pay attention to the things that don't matter. We will fight battles over things it's like, look, is that why customers are unhappy? Because the salt shaker is not in the right place sure. versus are we doing the other things right? Which I think is really, really important. But the term that I use with my managers that falls into that is unrelentingly positive. Mm-hmm. Unrelentingly positive. When we commit to doing something, when we say we act a certain way as a company or we deliver a certain service or a certain experience, we are unrelentingly positive. They knock that salt shaker over. We are unrelenting. We're not going to say that's okay. We're going to bring it back to where it needs to be, but in a positive manner. We're just going to keep guiding things back. So I, I love that because there have you, I wish I could remember what it's called. There's a TED talk that's kind of blowing up right now where the guy talks about the New York hot dog. Have you seen this? I honestly haven't. I, I got to check it out. Oh, you will. Lo- this will fit right into your onboarding. I can almost guarantee that you use it in your onboarding moving forward. Because what he talked about, now this is some five-star like Michelin restaurant, right? And the story he tells is, you know, walking the floor and he hears a table, right? Talking about this was the best meal of their life. It's the end of their trip. They're just loving it. But how bummed they were that they never got a New York hot dog. Right. And it's never got to get a New York hot dog. I have seen this. I okay. Have, right. Yeah. I know his story at least. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then he goes and he's like, so the dude like went out to the corner, bought two New York hot dogs, brought it into him, said, Hey, like to wrap up your trip, like here you go. And those hot dogs were the highlight of the trip. 
for them because of that experience. So what that to me falls in like those wow moments. Mm -hmm. How do you deliver wow moments in the sales process? Like how do you deliver wow moments in the top of the funnel, right? Where it's not just template call, template call, template call, right? Like what are ways that you found to like inject wow moments? Like people remember whether they buy from you or not, whether they book the meeting or not, they remember, they go, wow, Sam, that was that was pretty cool. Like what you just did there. Like, yeah, we're not interested or yeah, we're not in the market, but like, wow. Have you found ways to deliver some more wow moments in the sales process? I think that, you know, when we're talking about the top of the funnel, I think there are lots of chances to do it in an ongoing customer relationship down the funnel or post sale. But if we're going to focus on top of the funnel, I think the biggest thing is just like really taking care in the research that you do. So Mm -hmm. like, yes, punchy copy is important. Sounding smooth and confident on the phone is important. But if you can call out like an insight about someone's business that their own team isn't even noticing or talking about very often, especially as an SDR, mm-hmm. like you're going to really resonate with some people and it's going to be something that they remember through the sales process when they're making their decision about potentially buying a product. Um, I think a good example of that for what we sell, right? We're talking about employee benefits, specifically food. <laughs> So we'll have a rep go onto a glass door page and look at what their team is saying about their food benefit. Mm -hmm. And let's say the team loves the food benefit, but they complain about restaurant variety. That's a layup for ShareBite in terms of a pitch, right? So someone's going to, whether it's a cold call or an email, they're going to flatter the prospect by, by saying, it's awesome to see that your team is like raving about your food program online. But they're also going to highlight something that is a key area of opportunity for ShareBite to come in, be the expert. Um, And I think people talk a lot about a a consultative sales process or being a trusted advisor. I think that gets conflated a lot for being the opposite of like an old school seller, you know, like like it's this big departure. But in my opinion, every great seller I've ever talked to at any age, at any time with any amount of technology, they all do that, right? They're all like finding a key business insight that either the prospect didn't know about or they knew about, but no one's been talking about it at their company. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard Sahil uh, from Bravado on LinkedIn talk about this all the time when he was at Glassdoor. I think he has a story where he did something similar. Um, but yeah, so that's a big thing for me. It's just like really take care and time in your research. If you've decided someone is worth spending 10 minutes writing an email for, spend the 10 minutes and like spend five or six of that on research and then you know, get the copy good. You can spend your time on that another time or get good on that aggressively over time. But if you're not identifying a reason for them to want to speak to you and a reason for you to be in the room with them, uh, the rest doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's that, that relevancy. It's con- what we call it for, for our teams is connecting the dots. Yep. How can you connect the dots? Because also too, people will, they'll do that research and they'll say, Hey, I saw online that, you know, people would like more variety. On your approach. That's what ShareBite does. Could we get 10 to 15? And they don't connect the dots, right? Like they don't like bring them along that that journey. I think that's so key. It's also hilarious because like Snack Nation, this is what we did. Glass mm-hmm. door, job postings, all of that, where it is all up in it to find similar stories, right? To go through because then you can provide true insight. And I think that's what people miss in outreach of like they're, they're sharing information. But it's not an insight until they can use it. And so connecting those dots, right, of like, okay, yeah, we saw this. Here's why it's important. 
you know, here's what other people have done to address it. Share by being one of them. But like, there's ways to address this. Would you be open to having a conversation around it and making it much simpler? So I like that, man. This is really, really good. So as we start to wrap up here, what else? What haven't we touched on around this idea of hospitality in business? So there were a couple other things that, that he talks about in terms of being a manager that I, I do think are great. Um, one of them is just the quality that he looks for in managers, which I just think is, is really well articulated. So he calls it approving patience and tough love. And, you know, I was an, an athlete growing up. That's how I think about like every great coach I've ever had, right? It's like really hard to earn their respect, but they're not going to be rude or degrading to you until you get there. It's just hard to earn that. And then once you've earned it, usually, you start to get some tough love um, mm -hmm. and not necessarily like, again, rude or like or putting someone down, um, but letting them know like where they can improve when they need to improve. And as long as you don't wield it too often, kind of having the ability to be like, hey, like this disappointed me if you need to say that. Right. I've had managers say that to me before. And those are some moments and conversations I'll never forget. Um, so I think that tone and sort of that attitude as a leader or a coach is, is really important. And I can, I can understand why it's so vital in a restaurant. Um, but I think in the world of like remote sales, your reps are in their sweatpants in some city, 3000 miles away. Um, I think it's really important to command respect as a leader. Mm -hmm. No, it, and it's true. And I think this is a line that is getting tougher and tougher for leaders to to walk and to tread is, you know, at what point is it tough love? Where is it the person's just not able to take feedback and is saying like, hey, like, no, like, that is so key to all of this. And like working with my management teams, one of the things that we talk about is like, disappointment, that word should be one of the strongest tools in your tool belt. And you hope to never have to use it. But when you do, that should bring somebody back into the fold very quickly. When I sit down with you and go, hey, Sam, I'll just say this. I'm disappointed. Dude, it hurts just hearing just, it. Right? I don't work for you and I hate right. it. Right. Like yeah. that, that, <laughs> when that happens, that's all it should take to pull somebody in. Because if you're trying to rah-rah or even worse, you're trying to scare them. Right. If you don't do this, you might lose your job. No, no, no. If there's not a connection to disappointment, you don't have your team. You don't have you don't have that heart of the team because it goes the other way, too. I don't want to disappoint my team. Right. If a rep sat down with me and a manager sat down with me and said, Katie, like I'm disappointed in how that would hurt me to my core as well. And that goes both ways. And it is. It's like it's so important that we think that way through this. So dude, I'm, I'm loving this, man. This is phenomenal. So like, let's, as we wrap up here, dude, right. Cause the name of the podcast is live better, sell better. Sure. I have this weird idea, right? Like if we lived a little bit better, if we had more joy, more energy, more fun, more wow moments of the sales would also improve. What would your live better advice be for people listening? So I did something, uh, which was a little ambitious, but I got a puppy right when I became a sales manager Ooh, and I had to scale a team. Okay. Uh, so I have a dog that is exactly as old as my sales leadership career. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I would I would say if, if you don't have a pet or you don't have, you know, sort of anything that's that's looking to you to take care of it. Um, not that I would ever compare my employees to to dogs, but I think it's a great it's a great uh, sort of measuring stick and like uh, thing to for me to, to really teach me like patience. Mm -hmm. uh, but also to see that like, if you kind of give positive energy into something else, you're going to get it back. 
Um, and so I'm really glad that I, even though it was a nightmare when I was training him, I'm really glad that I, uh, that I had that at the same time to kind of keep me in check as I was trying to go scale a, a sales org. Mm-hmm. No, and this will sound weird. People might listen to like, what the hell is he talking about? If people took more of that type of mindset though with their team, it would be different because a pet is a commitment. Mm-hmm. So is an employee. And I think sometimes in business, they're like, oh, this it's expendable. If they don't work out, I'll just get rid of them. Whereas with a pet, if you do it the right way, right? Like some people get a pet, they don't do it the right way, they give it away. But a pet's a commitment. You're figuring out a way to make it work. You're figuring out a way to have the balance you want. And I wish more leaders actually took that mindset with their people of like, they're mine now. Yeah. I owe it to them to commit to find a way to make it work, to find a way versus, oh, it's not working. I'll just go get another one of you and go from there and then think it's going to be different the next time. So no, I think that's phenomenal advice, dude. So this was great, man, because again, this is a topic that's not talked about. The idea of hospitality, a buyer's experience, how to deliver those wow moments and everything else. So where can people get more of you? Where can they find you? Where they where can they connect? Where are you putting out content? Uh, I honestly don't post a ton on LinkedIn, but that's the place to find me. Um... Yeah, so you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, check out ShareBite if your company's looking to feed any employees. Um, yeah, aside from that, the only other plug that I had set up is my buddy who introduced me to this book actually used to be an SDR and then an AE and now runs a restaurant. Um, so I'm gonna plug his restaurant real quick in okay. uh in Hoboken and in LA. Uh Alfalfa. It's awesome salad and, and gluten-free donuts. Um, highly recommend, uh, and super cool to see he, you know, he kind of went backwards. He read about this stuff while working in business and then took it back to hospitality. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, now I got to look it up, right? Where, where in LA is Alfalfa? Because that sounds like a spot that my fam would love to check out. So love it, dude. Well, Sam, this was phenomenal, dude. Thank you for your energy, your insights. This is really, really good stuff. Yeah. Appreciate it so much, Kitty. 